This is Suzanne York from Humans Optimized. We believe that advances in technology, coupled with elevated human skills, create immense opportunity in the future of work. Now, with the upheaval of COVID-19, our future has quickly become today's reality. Through the uncertainty, fear, and concern of the pandemic, we find stories of human resilience, innovation, and hope. Join us as we share our experiences, discuss what may be ahead, and explore together how we can come back stronger than we were before. COVID-19 created the seemingly impossible task for many companies and institutions to transform immediately without disruption. Schools in particular needed to move quickly from in-person instruction to online learning while supporting its students and faculty during a difficult time. Today, I'm joined by high school principal Josh Romano from Douglas High School in Massachusetts to give us a view into what it's been like to quickly lead teachers, students, and families into the digital learning era on a moment's notice. Josh, thanks so much for talking with me today. Hello, Suzanne. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, it has been a pretty crazy time, and I'm really curious to to learn more about what it's been like for you and your, your staff and your students. And I mentioned that you're a high school principal. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what that role in- includes? Sure. Um, I've been an educator for 24 years uh, and an administrator for eight. I'm in my third year as principal at Douglas High School. Uh, Douglas is a great small town in southern Massachusetts. It's right on the Rhode Island border. So I do have an hour commute every day each way. Uh, but other than that, it's a great place to work. Uh, I have about 400 students and about 45 staff, which is a great size uh, normally, I can get into everyone's classroom every other day or so. Everyone knows most of the kids by name, so it's really the perfect size for that community sense in a school. Oh, that's great. And, uh, you know, going from um, teaching to administration, I'm sure that that's also given you a lot of appreciation for what um, your staff and, and the teachers and faculty are doing as well. I think having the 15 years in the classroom that I had, it gives me some credibility when I go in and tell a teacher, you know, I think you could maybe do this better. Or uh, when I tell them that something they did looks great, you know, I think they appreciate that I had that time working in the classroom and, and doing that side of it. And I do miss the classroom sometimes um, when I see uh, a teacher who's doing a really engaging lesson or some fun activity, then I'll see that same teacher leaving with a sack of papers or tests to correct. And I remember the things I didn't don't miss about being in the classroom and it kind of balances out a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in your position as principal, you have been looked to as a leader. So what has it been like over the past few weeks as we've learned more about the the pandemic and what, what it's meant to us? It's been very busy. I didn't think when the school year started that I would end up running a virtual high school, but here we are. <laughs> My school closed, we actually closed the day before the governor shut down schools in Massachusetts, which means we had a little bit of a warning. Um, We were able to tell the staff and students to bring home their books, their Chromebooks, their laptops, and basically plan that they may not be in the building for a month. Of course, humans being who they are, we still had students who left their Chromebooks. We had a staff member who left the paperwork for her car registration. We had plants that had to be saved from the school that were going to die if they stayed. So... I have had to go into the building a few times in the last month, and it's it's very empty, and it's it's a little unsettling, sort of, because normally even during a vacation, there are the sports teams are practicing, custodians are doing maintenance and cleaning, and now it's it's usually just me and my administrative assistant taking care of payroll and a few bills. At home, 
I'm actually enjoying not wearing ties, not driving the hour each way to work, not getting up at 5 a.m. I've gotten a lot of yard work done. My vegetable garden's cleaned out and ready. I got some projects around the house done. I miss the library. I miss the gym very much. I'm running a lot more than normal. So there, there are some positives. I even had time to make a few videos of me playing the drums with spatulas, singing, and I send those out to the students. So overall, it's been, it's been busy, but it's been productive. Wow, your creativity. I have been able to see some of those videos, and I can imagine the students think they're hysterical too. It's, uh, they keep asking if I'm okay. I think they think <laughs> I'm going crazy, and I, I just tell them, well, I miss you guys. So they're, they're a little worried that I am, but they're, they're sort of used to it too. They, they are used to me singing in the hallways or doing my other, my other thing. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Well, and although you didn't have to make the decision because the governor made it for us about closing uh, for the month, um, I'm sure there's been a lot of other decisions and actions and communications that you've needed to do to mobilize the, the, the number of students and families that you mentioned and the teachers. What's, what has that been like and what have you found helpful as you've needed to navigate everything that's come up with a pandemic? So, so it's been a challenge. Um, I think it took a lot of time for the State Department of Education to decide what schools should look like in the shutdown. It took time for us as school leaders to figure out what school would be like. It's a, a very unprecedented situation for us. And we're all torn between this need to keep students' momentum going with their education and learning what we're able to do. What do we have the capacity to do? What do our staff know how to do? What do students know how to do? So at first, the guidance from the state was to review what students had already learned and not move on to new content. And that gave us some time to figure out how to teach our classes re remotely. Everyone in my school was already trained on and was using Google Classroom. So we decided early on that Classroom would be the basic platform that we were going to use. The students knew it. The staff knew it. It was already set up, basically. Then we had a few staff who were already familiar with Zoom. And they helped each other to learn how to use it. And the staff embraced Zoom very quickly. Mm. So we actually had to go in and create a schedule for Zoom sessions and cap them at 30 minutes so that teachers weren't overlapping their classes. And that was a really pleasant surprise. I didn't think that that many teachers would get so comfortable with Zoom or embrace using that and, and having that face-to-face -face virtual interaction with kids. Um, the actual schedule was made by one of my department chairs when she saw the logjam that had developed as teachers got more adept at using Zoom. And ultimately, every decision we had to make, it's been creating something new for us. You know, there are virtual high schools, but they're sort of created with the idea in mind that everything is going to be online. We had to take what we normally do in person for seven hours and make it into this virtual space. This is probably where, you know, for myself, um, I'm also a, an officer in the Army National Guard, and my military training probably helped me out there. The military trains us as part of our decision-making process. We identify constraints, like we have this, the constraint of the state guidance to do classes as pass-fail or credit-no credit. Uh, we identify the requirements that we have to do, like preparing students for advanced placement exams, identifying the assumptions that we can make. We, for Douglas, we could assume that every student has a Chromebook because we give them to the students. But we also had to assume that not every student would have the internet and build that into our plan. So that military mindset of deciding what the end product needs to be, planning backward to get there, and then, I guess for lack of a better term, wargaming through what could happen and what could go wrong, that's been really helpful to me as, as we've gone through this decision-making process.
Yeah, I really like that context. And so thank you for sharing that. Keep going. It sounds like you've got a few more points too. Well, you also mentioned communication, and that's been one of the most important things in all of this. Um, we did have some students who, when this first started, they kind of dropped off the face of the earth. They weren't logging in or doing any work. And um, you know, we, we said that they were out in the woods living with the wolves or something. <laughs> and getting out to those students and bringing them back into the community of school and communicating to them what the expectations were and giving resources to their families to help them keep their students learning, that was key. Um, and for me, the most important communication, it's been with staff, it's been with students and parents to try to give them guidance and, and answer their questions. There's a lot of uncertainty around this. Um, people asking, you know, what should school look like? What will happen with prom and graduation? It's been a huge help to have a great staff who share ideas, and they very much feel that they can say, well, Josh, I see what you're trying to do here, but what if we tried it this way instead? So that two-way communication that I'm able to get with them has been helpful too. Well, um, and that says a lot to the leadership style and the culture you you had in place beforehand. I hope has so. It, I mean, they're they're yeah. great people. Um, yeah. And they've, they've really risen to this challenge. Um, and even the, the students too um, aren't afraid to reach out and ask questions. So uh, I've been able to hold Zoom meetings with seniors and hear all their worries and come up with ways to assure them that they won't miss out on everything. And I think that that's going to be help to them. Um, and it's more impactful, I think, to be able to use something like Zoom to, to talk to them and they can hear my voice rather than have them just read an email or a letter that I've sent out. Wow, that's an amazing idea that really opening the dialogue, you're, you're needing to have a virtual open door at this point. And have there been other other opportunities or ways that you've needed to get creative in connecting with people? Your videos being one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so the videos, I think, um, is, is definitely one way. So um, I try to be pretty creative with it and make up things that I think will entertain the students and maybe just give them an idea of, you know, I'm still thinking about them. I am not uh, a particularly emotional person. I don't tell the kids, you know, how great they are all the time and things like that. But, uh, you know, I want them to know that I'm thinking about them, that I do miss them, that um, I, I miss seeing their smiling faces every day. Um, and that, you know, there are people working to make sure that they're still going to get the education that they need and that social side of school, those activities and those events and those memories, for, especially for seniors, that they deserve. Well, and that really speaks to the fact that schools offer so much more than just learning. So tell a little more about the, the impacts to the social part of things that, that they're not getting right now. It's, I think that that's been the hardest part for the kids, especially for the seniors. They're losing a lot of the traditional events that seniors have. Um, like for example, at our school, the senior class trip is to Disney World. They go over April vacation, and the kids will fundraise at Gillette Stadium for you know, a year or two to help pay for it. Well, Disney is closed, so there's no trip. Right. Our spring musical, which was written by students, it's indefinitely postponed at this point. The spring oh. concert, now even the entire spring sports season may not happen if, if we're not back by May 4th. So the seniors are missing out on some really big moments, those memories that usually people carry with them. And I've committed to the seniors that they will have a prom and they will have a senior picnic and they will have a graduation, even if it has to be in July or August. We'll do oh, wow. prom on the soccer field if we have to. Yeah. Uh, 
we've actually already had to postpone prom because the venue we reserved is not going to reopen until the date that we had scheduled. Oh, wow. So, or until after the date that we had scheduled. Yeah. But I think students are also missing the, the social aspects of school. They miss seeing their friends. And when I've met with each grade on Zoom, the one thing that every group wanted from, from the teachers was more time in Zoom, more virtual classrooms to get them to interact with their peers. I think for, for them, just like for a lot of us who are suddenly working at home, the kids are feeling isolated in their mission, missing that human interaction that they would normally have. Well, and it's amazing, like you said, how people have embraced this new technology, whether it's the students, the faculty, and it's not necessarily new, but the use of it and the degree to which they're needing to rely on it. What has been the adoption and what what has helped you in, in, in sort of spearheading this uh, move to being online, like you said? So we were fortunate in Douglas because our, our basic capabilities weren't bad relative to some other schools in terms of the technology that we had. All of our students have a school-issued Chromebook. Um, our teachers knew how to use Google Classroom. That gave us a baseline that we could build on. You know, we knew that every student was going to have a Chromebook. Of course, now as time goes by, their kids, 400 Chromebooks floating around in the hands of teenagers, schemes <laughs> are going to get cracked, and Mountain Dew is going to get spilled on the keyboard. And so we're starting to have a buildup of broken Chromebooks too. But the mm. kids are pretty adept at you know, being able to access things on their phone instead. So most of them can still find a way to get into the classroom. It's been, I would say it's been a very steep learning curve for, for staff and students, but maybe in, in different ways. So for this, the staff, I've been incredibly impressed with how quickly they've grown used to using the technology to work with students and even interact with each other. This afternoon, um, there will be a just sort of a, a Zoom meeting where my staff will get together to share ideas and kind of talk to an adult for, for those who are stuck home with their, their young kids, have right. a chance to talk to adults for a while. So they're, they're even using it for sort of a social aspect too. Um, and these are people who have gone from never having heard of Zoom or Google Meets or other things like that to setting up meetings and sharing their computer screen with the group, changing their backgrounds. Uh, I have teachers who are using screencast-o-matic to record their voice over a slideshow. A lot wow. of practices that they're adopting to try to make their work more engaging. Instead of just sending the kids, here's another PDF of worksheets, go ahead and read them and answer the questions. They've been really trying to find ways to engage students. My worry actually is for the staff is that they're kind of working too much, that they're falling into that, that work from home trap of answering emails at all hours. I'll, because I'm in every teacher's Google Classroom, I see every time they get a post or every time they comment and there'll be posts at 11 o'clock at night because they're just, they're commenting back to kids on their work. Mm. It's been a little bit different. I think for the students, um, the technology itself hasn't been a great challenge. Uh, in fact, I would actually say to some extent, they've been helping teachers learn how to use it. Sure. But for students, I think the hard part has been to shift to an online school mentality of having to do more of the work on their own or have to have, I guess, that self-discipline to get out of bed and log into classes and organize their due dates for work for seven classes and then persevere on work when they can't just raise their hand and ask for help. I think that that's a challenging thing. Um, virtual school is, it can be pretty difficult. I'm taking grad classes myself 
And um, actually yesterday morning, I realized I had a paper due and I hadn't even started it because I just hadn't organized the due dates. And we're asking middle school and, and high school students to do that same thing. So I think yeah. them the hard part has been switching from this very supported and structured environment to one where they have to do things more independently. Well, and those are amazing skills to build, not exactly the way in which we'd want to help them build them. <laughs> We're going to be very adept at, at a wider range of skills, I think, when they go into the workforce. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, I'm, I'm remarking at how much people are figuring out right now. And when we look ahead to a year from now, there's a lot of this that I can see would be great to incorporate into our lives at that point. So what do you see could be different or what would you want to see carry forward based on all the learnings that are happening right now? I, I like to think that all these new strategies, all these new tools that teachers and students have learned how to use, that that's going to stay with us once school is back in session. There's really no reason that a teacher or a student couldn't run a, a virtual study group before a test. We have a lot of students who, they have to ride the bus home. They, otherwise, they're, they're walking home. And that they're, so they're not able to stay after school for uh a study group or something like that, or for yeah. um, tutoring. Well, they could do that virtually. You know, the, the teacher could at four o'clock log in and start a uh, review or a stu- two students could get together online and do their tutoring online. There's no reason to not do that. Or, or teachers could post video tutorials to their Google Classroom pages. These skills that they have, I think that we can continue to use those. And I think there's some other ways too. We, we always have students who are homebound, either they're, they have a medical condition or they have a, a school anxiety condition or something like that. And now that staff know how to use these tools to interact remotely, there's really no reason we can't start to bring a homebound student back into the classroom through Zoom or other remote instruction platforms, set up a computer in the back of the room, turn on Zoom, log, log the kid in, and they're virtually part of the class. There's also a, a lot of organizations like PBS, they've opened up their resources to, to educators and to parents to use with their kids. And teachers have been using those resources to build more engaging lessons. And I hope that that continues as well. I look back to my first year teaching when the school that I was working at got its first internet connection. They literally had one. It was a dial-up connection, and that was for the whole school. Wow. And so if you wanted to bring in other resources to the classroom, you were taking a book and you were photocopying pages out of it to, to hand out to kids. Well, now just the ability to access such a wide range of resources is tremendous. And I hope that schools will continue to do that. Actually, well, so many, so many possibilities. Absolutely. Are there other things that you've noticed as well? I think that there's a, a larger innovation that we can bring from this too. sort of even the way that we do school. So the advantage of small schools like mine is that it's very personal you know everyone, but there's a disadvantage too. The the programs that you can offer are limited. I only have so many kids. If I don't have 10 kids that want to take marine biology, I really can't run a marine biology class. But if the local small schools could all collaborate with others to offer these programs and courses that individually were too small to sustain, we could make new opportunities for students. Like for example, my school my school offers advanced placement microeconomics, and we're the only school in the region that does. My teacher could offer that course online 
to all the other schools, the, the local schools in our area. Uh, my school doesn't offer marine biology, but another school in the region does and could offer that as a virtual school. So I think there is that capability for us to collaborate between districts to offer more things. And that's, that's right there. You've got two of the most important things that school administrators do, creating access and creating opportunities, creating the access to students who need support to get their education, that homebound student or that's that student with anxiety that can't get into the classroom right now. And also create opportunities for students to learn what they want to learn or need to learn or explore what they're interested in. And the lessons that we're learning now, I think that they can help us to make that happen in the future. That is an incredibly inspiring concept. I had never even thought of the idea of going across the the boundaries of your district or outside the walls of your school and really opening up the dialogue across towns and across even states and, and other parts of the country. What an amazing image that this really brings up for me. Well, the, you know, the idea of school choice, you know, in, in theory, school choice is a wonderful thing. You know, it kind of forces poor schools to get better because there's competition, but too much competition means that everybody can lose too. So if every one of these small schools in the region is trying to offer everything to all students, they end up doing nothing well, where, um, you know, my school has a great business program. The school, one district over, doesn't have a business program at all, but we could collaborate together to offer those to, to both of our students. Instead of competing, instead of us trying to steal students from that neighboring district who want to go to school for business, um, we can share those resources that we do have. And I think that that's a much more positive way for every school to get better than competing with each other for for students and, and therefore money. That's amazing. I mean, this is the breakthrough thinking that I believe is going to come out of this time because we're redefining what it means to work together, whether it be as a team or as a, a district or every, you know, rising tides lifts all boats at this point. And how do we think differently for our kids? So in terms of other, other things that have come up for you, anything on the team front or what else are you seeing that have, has really unlocked your thinking? In the way that we collaborate, work as teams? Yeah, I, it, this, this idea that um, you know, you've needed to mobilize really quickly and you're coming up with leveraging new technology and now team to me just has a new meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, has there been anything around the team experience for you as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I am not, I, I am sort of relatively technologically savvy for a 46-year-old man in the United States in mm-hmm. 2020, but I will say I have never actually edited a video until I started making my Kung Fu spatula video for students. <laughs> I actually didn't know how to do that. I had to have somebody tell me what to do. Um, so it's really been, I've had to rely on other people to help. It's, it's had to be done in collaboration because a lot of the decisions, they're, they're just too big for one person to necessarily just take on for themselves and not bounce those ideas off somebody. And that's actually another place where the military background has helped me out. People tend to think of the military as very autocratic. You have one you know, general who's barking orders, but it really, it doesn't work that way. Really, plans are developed in a collaborative environment with every person bringing their strengths to the plan. So the person who is trained in military intelligence brings that aspect to it. And the person who's trained in logistics brings that aspect to the plan. And that's how we've been trying to do things, where everybody brings their strengths to the table. This last week, for example, um, 
the guidance from the state changed with the longer shutdown, you can't keep reviewing the same material week after week after week. And so they were encouraging schools to shift to new learning. And we had to decide, well, what are grades going to look like in this new school environment? Mm. So I had my guidance team give me their thoughts, the guidance counselors. I had my special educators give me their assessment of, of how well we can support students with individualized education plans given these platforms. And then based on their input, I crafted a proposal that my department chairs reviewed as a Google Doc. And it was the same thing there. It got beat up a little bit. Like, you know, Josh, you totally forgot about this, which is great because if I, if I was just arbitrarily throwing this plan out there, it would have failed. It was missing details. We identified those issues. We changed those details. And as a team, we came up with a plan we thought could work. And without that collaboration, I think you just don't get the buy-in that you need. And you just don't get as good of a plan. Mm. And I think that my leadership team, they've really tried to create an environment where people feel empowered to come to me with an idea that they want to try out. So, for example, when my counselors wanted to try doing some mindfulness activities with students uh, using a virtual platform, or one of my teachers wanted to try online Dungeons and Dragons sessions. Ah. He's calling it um, Distance and Dragons. That's amazing. It, it is. It's great. Um, and those were kids who... You know, he had a game club going with kids who don't always want to hang out after school. Yeah. And I would, they, they meet in the library twice a week and I would go up there and the library would be full of kids who otherwise would normally not be engaged with their peers at school. It was fantastic. Um, our student council advisor, they wanted to do a virtual spirit week where, you know, kids would bring their pets to their Zoom class one day. I think that's today. Yeah. And people on my staff, they know that they can bring their ideas to me. And, you know, we'll give them a shot. We'll, we'll think them through. We'll, we'll try to make them work and then we'll, we'll give them a shot. I love these stories. I mean, what comes up for me is the teacher becomes the student and the leader becomes the follower. And at this point, we, none of us has the answer. Like you said, this is uncharted territory. For, so for any leader to think that they are intended to have all the answers, I think is misguided. So what you've done to really open the dialogue and get people to be creative and give them the space to come to you and, and have their ideas really take shape. I think that that is a new way of leading that I hope also carries forward in, in, as we move past this moment. I, I hope so too. I think, you know, these are, these are very big challenges and I think it's helped for people to be aware of how much we really need to rely on each other to bounce those ideas off of, to give them that test run and see how they work when you pull them up to some logic and some new perspectives. So every week I've had more teachers who are calling me on the phone to ask my opinion or get my support on something. And um, I've been talking more frequently than ever with the other administrators in my district and with the administrators in surrounding towns and drawing on their ideas and filtering mine through them. And sometimes it's just nice to talk to another adult too. Right. Absolutely. Well, I just really remarkable for me how much this time has opened up the sense of camaraderie and the sense of we're in this together and we and let's pool our resources and our thinking. Um, and that to me, to bring people together through a shared experience, I wouldn't have wanted this to have been it, but we are, there's a lot of solidarity coming out of the conversations that I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. This, I, I would say the place where I've seen it the most has been among our senior class and their parents because oh. they 
you know, in a, in a way, they're losing a big chunk of what students normally get for that celebration of their senior year. You know, they've gone K through 12 through their schooling, and there's, uh, there are traditions that the class of 2020 is not going to have. Their yeah. experience has been very different from other years. And, you know, it, it, I've, I've told the kids, you know, I, it's not fair. And I, it hurts my heart that you're not going to get some of these things that your peers got. Um, but what I've seen from them has been a lot of resiliency of, okay, we get it. Disney is closed, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get our money back from the travel agent and groups of kids will figure out when they can go together after graduation. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, I, I feel that they've all been very understanding with how this is going to look different. Um, and even tried to sort of, I, I don't know if I would say put a spin on it, but um, I, I think there's been some interesting talk around their yearbook because a yearbook is, it's basically a record of that school year. And this is a very, unique school year for these students. So there's been a lot of talk about ideas of, you know, if there's not going to be a set of pages related to the Disney trip, well, what can replace those pages? And I think what they're going with is, is kids, um, how they've spent this time that they've been out of school, either the way that they've done their remote learning or the other activities that they've engaged in the family walks or the, the other, um, family things that they've been doing or community things that they've been doing during this time instead of school. So we're going to try to fill it with that instead and make kind of something for that group of seniors to share this sort of shared experience that they all had that's going to be very unique to their class and not to others. Mm. Well, and you're so right that this is something the parents miss out on too. I hadn't thought of that. I'd been really aware of the seniors, but the parents earn these moments just as much as the kids. And sometimes so they, or so. I think there's a lot of yeah. kids who would choose to not participate in graduation, but they're going for their parents. And that's even the, that's the conversation that I'll have with a student. Like, I don't want to go to graduation. Like, I know, but your mom wants you there. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I promise sure. I'll, I'll make a really short speech. It won't be that long. So. Um, <laughs> You know, they, they really are. It, it's a big thing that parents are missing out on, too. You know, they want that opportunity to celebrate their successful journey with their children that, you know, they brought their children to this this very much symbolic entryway into adulthood. And yeah. it's important for them to have that, too. Oh, without a doubt. Well, well, before I ask one of my final questions, is there anything we haven't touched on that you're hoping to share about this experience or what you'd like to see uh, move fo- come forward from it? Well, I think, you know, I, I from a professional stance, you know, I, I think that what I'd like to see and, and what I've already started trying to advocate for by writing to state reps is that I, I think that this has shown that we we need to make a better effort as a society to ensure that education is equitable for all students, because that that just isn't the case. So the reason that the State Department of Education has advised against schools making work mandatory is because there are so many low-income districts where students don't have access to a computer and the internet, and that just shouldn't be. It creates an inequity, and actually it doesn't even create an inequity. It, it highlights the inequity that's there. I have mm. no doubt that students in more affluent communities are getting a better education right now and that they're probably getting a better education all the time. 
um, with that disparity becoming more glaring in this situation. And so I've been writing to state reps and saying, you know, clearly this shows that school funding formulas need to be adjusted to help to close that gap. We shouldn't be looking at um, a situation in 2020 where students can't access their education because of a lack of technology in the most technologically savvy society in, in the history of the world. Wow. That I had not even considered that 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 divide was already there and that the, the separation is getting even greater by the week that we're having to, to live like this. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate on their behalf that you're advocating in that way. And if there's things that others can do to support that conversation about the equitable education or other ways to build community, what would be a way that people could start to engage in that uh, type of and provide that support? I think it, it's going to be a challenging thing right now um, because it is, it, it's based on money. And, you know, mm. obviously right now the economy is not in a, in a great place. So I, I am somewhat worried about the school year for next year and where we're going to stand as far as budgeting, because right now people who are out of work aren't paying their property taxes. And um, that's where most of the school funding comes from. If, sure. if parents do, or if, if people do want to try to make that sort of change, I think what it needs to come down to is pressuring the state legislature to reevaluate and change the way that education is, is funded to make sure that there are opportunities for every student that um, allow them to have that access. You know, again, it comes back to access and opportunity. And we have a, a tremendous gap between the access and opportunity of students in some communities versus others. And um, making sure that resources are available to those schools is, the, is I think, the number one thing that's going to change that. So, mm. Well, and to your point, this moment is not when we can, we can solve for that, but coming out of this and seeing the experiences that, that some have had and some have not can really become that platform for this, this conversation to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the catalyst that the pandemic is serving, um, <laughs> my, my hope is that we really are able to embrace this moment for what it is and what it can do for us as a society. And, and we have seen, history has shown that humanity triumphs over tragedy. So we've covered a lot of, a lot of ground to help us do that. Everything from the steep learning curve that you and your, um, you and your town and your, your staff have um, overcome to the innovation that's happening and the creativity and the opportunity to lead differently and allow others to come forward. And this idea of creating um, equitable education, all of this has been so incredibly valuable. So I thank you for your time. And, and I'd love to know, is there one thing that you would like to encourage people to do now so that when we do move through this, we really can come back stronger than before? What, I, what I've liked about this time, I guess, that if there's, if there's something that I hope stays post-coronavirus is that we can keep up this sort of change in the way that people work and live and, and the balance, I guess, between the two. And I, I know as, as I've watched Zoom classrooms, I've, I've gone in and watched Zoom classes run by my teachers where the teacher's trying to talk to students and their own children, three or four-year-old children, are yelling at them in the background. And, and yeah. so I get that. <laughs> it's a little challenging to do both at once, but I do hope that when we are finally back to hopefully a new normal, that the balance between the way people work and live, that that's going to become a little more balanced than it was before. Um, that we can kind of shift away from 
I'm working the hardest because I'm working the most hours and that makes me a better person and make it more about we should also have time for family dinners and going for a walk on a nice day, that, that healthy balance of living and working. Um, and hopefully, you know, we all learn to appreciate our friends and families um, if they haven't completely driven us nuts after yeah. months of being locked in together. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to see that. And I, I hope that we can learn to put more weight in things that are more important. Your point is well made that before the boundaries between work and life were really strict um, and the harder you worked at, at your career, the less time you had for family and the opportunity to really blend that that balance differently. Um, I'm inspired by that that image and hope for that for myself as well. So, so thank you, know, you for sharing that. Yeah. You know, when my dad's store was open, a lot of members of the family would all get together there on Friday night. Yeah. And right after it closed and we would, we would hang out and we would, um, you know, we'd have my sister on FaceTime from Virginia and, um, we would just catch up and, you know, without that now we actually have done some zoom meetings where we have done that. And so we get together as a family that way, because I think we're sort of reminded of how important it is to have those connections with other people. So when you've spent all day sitting at your dining room table, reading email after email, that it really is important to make that time too and to yes. those connections and to celebrate each other. And that's the thing that I keep telling my seniors is, you know, I gave them a, a list of things that I wanted them to keep doing through this. And I wanted them to, to keep engaging with school, keep, you know, their, their teachers miss them and want them to be successful and happy. So keep engaging with school to learn about things that otherwise they wouldn't have had time to learn about. So you know, binge watch something that they wanted to see or yeah. know, go down some Wikipedia rabbit hole learning about the origin of the universe or the origin of Spider-Man or whatever they're interested in or, you know, maybe actually read the books that we asked them to read in English class, something like that. Yeah. Um, and also to just be there for each other and, you know, look out for each other, stay in contact with each other, maintain their connections to each other through this because, you know, if they're able to do that, then maybe they'll be able to keep those connections after high school and have those positive relationships with people. So it's not just seeing them at the 10 year reunion, but maybe they'll stay in touch with them a little better moving forward. This generation is so technically savvy and, and so comfortable working in and communicating in virtual spaces that I think that they're poised to be able to do that very successfully. Yes, absolutely. And it's an interesting um, enigma that we can become more closely connected when we're apart. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that it's going to be the ultimate family reunion and the ultimate party when we actually all can come back together. So I know I'm looking forward to that day and um, I can imagine that you all are as well. Oh, very much. Well, Josh, thank you again for your time. And your school di district is so lucky to have you. And I'm really grateful for all of the ideas that you shared with me on this um, on this episode. Well, thank you very much. You know, I love talking about my school and, and my students and the staff that I have. And uh, so it was a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, well, thanks again, Josh. And good luck getting through the rest of this time period. And we'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love to share your stories to help all of us come back stronger than we were before. For more information and to contact us, visit www.humansoptimized.com.